0: To the BBXX podcast, let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, bringing you another special episode of our Change Makers Edition. While in the past we've strictly interviewed researchers, academics, and PhDs in the field, we'll now also be bringing you interviews with founders, coaches, authors, and anyone else who dedicates themselves to helping us transform the way we live our relationships. Mm -hmm. Our guest on today's show is Dan Doty. Dan Doty works with men to help them access repressed areas of emotion and desire, resulting in relaxed confidence and an increased ability to connect more deeply with others. In addition to being a men's coach, Dan is also the co-founder of Everyman, a company dedicated to helping men connect and help each other to lead more successful, fulfilling lives. Dan and his work with Everyman have been featured by TEDx, The Joe Rogan Show, The Today's Show, Men's Health, and CNBC. And the way you kind of put it in your talk was giving men permission, direction, and a place to practice. And I think that that's so important for men and for all of us. And I think many of us don't give ourselves permission let alone kind of seeking the direction or the place to practice and practice in the practical meaning of the word, which would imply frequency and consistency. Another quote that came up uh, in your talk, you say, it's time for us to recognize that men are hurting. And because men are hurting, they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. And in your talk with your wife, she says, people hurt people, taking it kind of to a much broader Level because obviously it does extend beyond men as well. And so I found that to be, again, such a simple yet profound thing, but I really resonated. And I think there's so much truth behind it that hurt people hurt people.
1: I feel like that's a very core thing that if we could get that message or understanding sort of spread around in a real way, could fundamentally alter some pretty big things. And I always put out a little bit of a caveat here. I may live in a pretty big bubble but I also have been around and I've worked with people intimately from all over the globe and all walks of life and I've worked with the bullies and the rapists and the perpetrators and the and what I have found is that people at their core are good and don't like hurting other people it's very few people very few people have ever met that I walked away feeling like something's really wrong and off and they don't have, in their most sort of pure and relaxed sense, they don't have the welfare of others in mind. Mm-hmm. What, so what I have found, I really do believe this, is that, let me say this, another very clear statistical truth is that perpetrators of sexual violence, the percentage at which they were perpetrated upon is through the roof. Mm-hmm. People don't do these things to other people out of nowhere. It is like a sickness that's passed on. And we're talking about things that incur such pain and such intense feelings and emotions. And that I think there's this path to healing this that is so, it's such a huge ask of people in general to have compassion for those who hurt other people. But I learned this from these boys out, out in the woods and out in the desert, like the bullies, the bullies out there, the ones who were the hardest on other people, man, they were the ones that were hurt the, the deepest. It was just so painfully obvious. And they needed love, whatever in their formation of, of their humanity, they they didn't get the love and, and the nurturing they needed. And that became their reality. And then they were just playing it out on others. And so that's some of the extreme stuff. But in the less extreme stuff, if we're just talking about our friends and our family and our partners and our kids and our coworkers, life is pretty damn overwhelming. And again, I I think people generally mean well, but when we don't deal with our own pain, when we don't deal with our own trauma, Mm -hmm. when we don't have avenues for this energy that gets kind of trapped in us to move through and to heal and to go elsewhere. We unwittingly hurt. I mean, you know, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. I, I hurt my kids feelings. I hurt my wife and I sure as hell don't want to or mean to, but it does happen. And not saying that maybe we'll ever get to a place where we don't hurt each other. I think that's part of life, but a whole heck of a lot of it comes from, um, well, and that's why to me, Um, Mm -hmm. one of the big culprits here is repression, repression of Mm -hmm. feeling, repression of trauma, repression of experience. It just isn't healthy. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's a very maladaptive strategy.
0: Yeah. And everybody needing that permission that we spoke about earlier and, and to kind of be able to stop perpetuating these patterns, whether it's in kind of The behavior of the perpetrators themselves, or in our own interpretations and kind of the things we project onto others as well. And I think with those barriers we put up, it's easier to assume somebody was bad intentioned than to ask the questions and put yourself out there trying to dig deeper and find out why they said or did something. And, you know, for them to dig into that as well. But I think you're totally right. Repression can become toxic. And research shows repression of emotions can come out as physical health problems and all kinds of things. And I think I 100% believe that. And you actually once cited a study about emotional trauma. And if you keep shoving it down, how it can kind of fester or even lock itself in, and then you become locked into these thought patterns or ways of thinking or or you lock in the damage and and it becomes harder and harder if not impossible to rewire that i can't remember what study that that is or if it was the same one that talks about how emotional pain can be more painful and last longer than physical pain
1: yeah yeah that's uh uh it's been a while since i read that exact quote but yes the reality of emotional pain is since it's less visible from the outer perspective, it kind of gets washed over a little bit, but mm-hmm. it runs our life. I mean, it's interesting. We know there's parts of society that we know that our emotions run our lives. I mean, marketing is 100% based on our emotions and manipulating them. Mm-hmm. Our movies, storytelling, entertainment, everything has to do with sort of this emotional driver of... Of reward and all this stuff. And yeah, I think I actually think that there's a budding area of exploration and learning in the emotional realm through neuropsychology and, and other new ways of inquiring that is could be potentially globe shifting in terms if if we can come to grips with our emotional reality as humans. I think that it's uh, without just putting it to the side or going hyper rational. I think there's an integration of our emotional life that uh, is being pioneered and maybe it's not new, but I do think that we're on the edge of some potentially interesting times with that.
0: On the surface, when people hear that kind of emotional pain versus physical pain, maybe it's kind of would make them think, oh, wow, really interesting or something. But if you sit and think about it, it should be fairly obvious and is kind of logical if you break or you know you hit your hand you slam your hand in the door or whatever i mean most things that cause physical pain heal on their own if not you get a sling or a cast or a boot you limp around for a while and obviously certain other things surgeries da 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 but if something happens to you emotionally or traumatically you don't just it doesn't heal on its own. And even if you put a sling or take the weight off of it and limp around for a while, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, no. you have to do the work. You have to actively create a very tiresome and, and difficult healing process that you on your own have to manufacture and with help and support from other people. It is completely different. And it, when you compare them as that, It's kind of like, wow, that's really, really (laughs) intense compared to breaking my wrist or whatever it is, or, you know, let alone just getting smashed with a hammer for a bit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so going deeper into the hurt people hurt people and in the context of men and in light of our operating definitions, I'd love to know how you would define toxic masculinity and what you think the cultural consequences of it are
1: yeah i i just gave a talk and i i did a couple minutes on this and it was interesting to dive into it myself because i compiled some data and gave the facts of right now in the uk the leading cause for death for males under 45 is suicide globally 96% 96% of homicides are committed by men, and in the U.S., the sexual violence statistics that we hopefully have all heard or need to hear more is, you know, one in five women are raped sometime in their life, and one in three are sex- have coercive sexual violence against them at some point, point. and these are conservative numbers. So from that point of view, from a statistical analysis, if you sort of zoom out, I think it's actually very it's a fair assessment to say that masculinity is toxic, right? I think that an immense amount of the pain and the hurt that's visible in our society, you know, comes at the hands of men. I, I think it goes deeper than that and it's more complicated than that. But from a surface level, I think it's fair. I think the reality, as we've already talked about here or alluded to, is that it. if we stop at that level, we are only in the realm of the reactive and we're only in the realm of the outer sort of but if you follow that pain deeper to its source you find a bunch of very unhealthy and unhappy and hurting men men who have very little grasp of their own sexuality and very little education or understanding of who they are in terms of uh, fundamental identity. And you have a heck of a lot of men who, again, repress the majority of the things that they feel. And it doesn't matter, man, woman, who you are, life is traumatic, life is painful, life is hard, it just is, it's an intense thing. And, and we have an entire, and it's, this isn't just relegated to men, but it's enough that we can talk about it this way, that we have half of the globe in some ways are really disconnected from some of their most fundamental human needs, which is this emotional health and this, uh, honestly, what it comes down to is connection and love with other people at a deep enough level to feel safe, safe enough to learn who they are, safe enough to get rid of the gunk they're holding on to, safe enough to really develop and mature in in a fundamentally healthy human way. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that that label toxic masculinity, there's a big reaction against it. You know, it's like, we're not toxic, which I think is fair too. I I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know if that phrase is overall helpful or not helpful, but I think from just a very simple way, it's describing something that's happening. It's, I don't think it can be ignored. It can't be ignored
0: going off of that a bit do you think there should be a definition of kind of what it means to be a man and and what would your definition of that be and how might it be different than yeah. the definition of being a human
1: <laughs> well so the yeah it's not that that's the answer <laughs> is it's really not but i think the the definition that i feel is helpful and appropriate is descriptive as a so Descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, right? So we could come up with a new definition. So today's man is connected. Mm-hmm. Today's man is uh, vulnerable. Today's man is all this. But mm-hmm. I think that's even wrongheaded in a lot of ways. I think a descriptive version of masculinity or manhood is the only way to go. And and what that would be is that the only measure or the only definition of a man is how much are you you? How much are you able to be your fully expressed self how much of yourself are you open to um Mm -hmm. if you identify as a man then you are one and you don't have to really prove it and this idea this kind of old idea of the man card where you have to prove your manhood you have to show your toughness i think if we're prescriptive about it, it's just going to keep the pattern going. So maybe in the future, I have to prove my vulnerability, right? I have to prove mm-hmm. my my connection, all of this stuff. No, just be you because what's in you is actually good, right? And I think it kind of hinges on that belief in fundamental human goodness. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you identify as a man and like you don't even have to come up with it, you just are. Yeah, and if you want something deeper is how much are you actually being you? Like, And that's the human part. That seems to be what's at the heart of most therapy, spiritual traditions, all these things. Is like, just be you, man. <laughs> You're okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that, again, it's one of those things where then it's those questions. How do you feel? What do you want? Who are you? And then it becomes scary, because I think a lot of us don't know who we are.
1: Yeah, we don't. It's intense. But like, that's it. That's it right there.
0: Yeah. And so being able to kind of give up that whatever kind of facade version of ourself and dig deeper. And as you even mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes there's a significant amount of cognitive dissonance where somebody might realize shit, I'm not who I thought I am or, or my actions. You know, my yeah. actions say I'm something different than I am. But if you dig behind that and kind of get to the truth and get to the goodness, you can come out of it with this self-understanding and understand, oh, those actions were were symptoms. They're not the root of who I am. It was from that lack yeah. of self-understanding. And so I think that For people as well who are kind of acting out or perhaps creating toxic patterns or hurt people who are hurting other people, digging deeper might actually mean realizing that, you know, at their core, they're good. And obviously there are exceptions to all of this, but I do love that idea of us each giving ourselves, one, the chance to realize we can be better and two, to actually have the courage to Find out who we are and better understand
1: ourselves. And it does take courage. It takes willingness, right? You know, whether it's that's the one quality that the only quality I look for in people to come to every man to work with me is is just yeah, are you willing? And it does. I think it does take courage, but that kind of dramatizes a little bit (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) some people are are driven to this sort of inner exploration by need. Right. I mean, I think a lot of times pain will drive us to this, but I get excited about the proactive possibility of creating communities and uh, families and in a world where we don't all have to spend most of our life living out a whole bunch of other people's ideas and then go through immense amounts of energy output to find ourselves again. Right. I mean, I have zero idea if it's possible and this might, but for my two boys, you know, in our family, I would love to get ahead of that for them. Mm -hmm. I would love for them to grow up intact and to know who they are and to know Mm -hmm. some simple realities of themselves. Not that life won't get messy and complicated. I'm sure it will, but it does seem to be a heck of a lot of, recovery work we're all doing.
0: And as kind of we get closer to wrapping up, I wanted to kind of go back to kind of more of, of your personal experience and, you know, remind people listening, I think, especially for a lot of people, I imagine, you know, you could read Dan, co-founder of every man doing this, doing that must know everything, his relationships must be perfect and just kind of project this image when in reality, I think part of what makes people's relationships better or worse is more just the willingness or the dedication to working on them, not necessarily a lack of effort, perhaps even kind of more effort in in some cases. And so I'd love for you to just kind of speak to, as a father and as a husband, a couple of the the most important things you've learned. <laughs> yeah. And, the kind mo- of, and yeah. I know I'm throwing no, the most... questions at you, but, you know, in terms of, like, actionable ad- advice for, for other people, what messages yeah. you can yeah. give, yeah, shared insight.
1: Well, the biggest lessons from the marriage is that there is no room for putting things off, not speaking to them, deception, anything like there's just like there, it is only harmful (laughs) and bad if something comes up and I just pretend it didn't happen or it just doesn't work. so it's like, uh, it's an upfront, I mean, my wife just, she's just so ultra sensitive to what's going on so far more than me that if I ever think that I'm fooling her or can get away with something. It just doesn't work. Dealing with reality as it comes up, I think is the biggest lesson that I continue to learn uh, over and over. And in addition to that, these are the hard ones that that I guess I'm coming up with here. But the other hard one is to just get out of my own head over and over and over and over. And when, you know, it's still like, ultimately surprises me in my own little narcissistic world where i'm just thinking about what i want and what i need and what would be good and and then look over and my wife's on a totally different plane my first instinct is to be like god damn it but it just <laughs> it just happens to be that she's another human being with a whole different world going on mm-hmm. and so just getting out of my head and taking that like that moment to get on her page and see what's going on and see where she's at. And, and she does the same for me too. You know, it's not a one-sided thing at all, but again, that's, that's very basic and sort of, I don't know how actionable that is, but the practice of getting out of my own head is never ending, honestly. And actually with the kids, it's a little bit easier Uh, for whatever reason. I, I guess maybe I have less expectations or needs from them. So in terms of the kids, I think the most important actionable thing I can think of is just to drop everything else. When there is time for it, drop everything else and just simply be present with them. And that's it, whatever that means, whether we're playing or reading or just hanging out or cooking for them, dinner, shutting off the work, shutting off the phone, shutting off the the thoughts about other things, shutting off my own needs for a little bit and just being totally, completely immersively present with them. I don't think there's anything more that I could bring to them that would be good for everybody involved. And that that actually translates to my marriage and my wife and my wife too. It's just to, when the time calls for it, as much as a hundred percent presence is that I can bring to Mm -hmm. what's going on.
0: Yeah. And that's hard to do sometimes, but so important and kind of with the kids, I think people often talk about how they can be kind of our biggest teachers And they can also be a mirror that is all of a sudden held up. And we see kind of our bad habits or histories or experiences coming through and all of a sudden, you know, maybe need to deal with some of the stuff we hadn't before because once you realize, oh, well, this baggage can be passed along. (laughs) <laughs> you do, I want to give this to my kids, you know, they adopt everything that you might even not have consciously realized you were dragging along with you this whole time. And so I think, yeah, a unique opportunity for learning and reflecting is kind of forced upon you in a way. And you say that for you, having kids was kind of a big moment and changed your life in a way. So i kind of curious how you think that might change people in general but specifically how you think it can change men
1: I think if you if a man allows it to happen I feel like the passage of having children raises the stakes of life so much higher immediately that it can basically force a hell of a lot of growth and maturation in a short period of time it just is this seems to be this beautiful fundamentally like deep human thing that happens i mean you can't help it you start thinking about your own dad you start mm-hmm. thinking about your own childhood you think about how you want to show up how you are showing up i think it's actually a time period that uh, you can take advantage of and harness in a really meaningful way and it's the stakes it really is you know and yeah having my first son duke was the biggest kick in the pants it was just a clear message that i had to pursue this path that i'm on now and and share this and and teach this and bring this to the world and it directly led to the starting of every man it was like a a one-to-one ratio it was that he was born and the green button was hit and it's like all right we're going now full commitment I mean, it's so far beyond a a rational explanation. My understanding of my life, my understanding of my marriage, my uh, sort of the actual fundamentals of what is meaningful shifted, has shifted for me so deeply. And you're right. We can't get away with bullshit in a way. We can't fool our kids ever, right? I was saying that's actually the gift of commitment in a lot of ways is you can't get away with things. You can't fool people. I can't fool my boys. I can't fool my wife. So <laughs> there I am with myself having to deal with <laughs> myself completely, which is beautiful. You know, it's that uncomfortable but very beneficial way of living life.
0: I love it. And when you're uncomfortable, when we're out of our comfort zone, that's where the most growth happens.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I agree with that. And I do think that there's another whole avenue of growth that is the acceptance of comfort, the acceptance of pleasure, the acceptance mm-hmm. of, of positivity and receiving. And that's actually, I bring that up, because for a lot of men, that's oftentimes even harder. The guy's like, ah, oh, we can handle pain, we'll you know, push harder, we'll blah, you know, blah, blah. But then okay. you turn around, and like, hey, can you enjoy that success? Can you just relax for a bit with your family? Can you just take mm-hmm. it easy and be comfortable? And no, they fucking can't. So I think it's both directions.
0: Yeah, and that plays into the safety. Totally. Into to totally.
1: safety. There's yeah. this huge cultural narrative of this masculine toughing through things that I think is obviously helpful in many ways, but over-relied upon.
0: Okay, so to wrap things up, I just have a set uh, – it's two short sets of rapid-fire questions. The first one, you give an answer. Either you pick one of the options or you, you give your answer to the question. And then the second round, I'll stop and explain, but the second round is association. Okay. Pizza or pasta?
1: Oh, pizza. Jeez.
0: <laughs> sunrise yoga or dancing till sunrise?
1: Sunrise yoga.
0: Drink of choice?
1: Uh, tequila.
0: Love it. Hugs or kisses? Hugs. Sex or intimacy? Sex. Nature or nurture? Nature. <laughs> Best year of your life? This one Who is a hero?
1: Uh my wife.
0: What kind of dog would you be?
1: My God, that's a good question. I would be a uh, like an Irish wolfhound.
0: Something you're excited for in the next year.
1: Moving into a, a house.
0: Favorite, tough question. How are you? Nice. Okay, so the second round. Is just a uh, word association. So I'll say a word and then you say whatever comes to mind. All right. Okay. Culture. Shock. Sex.
1: Um, oh, geez. It's an image. I, I think in images, uh, bodies. Love. A warm blanket. You. Shit. I don't know. Me. Um, happy us humans be yourself man woman
0: be a man be yourself (laughs) (laughs) change
1: uh your clothes (laughs) hope uh hope rollins my friend
0: bbxx
1: uh, fun podcast,
0: yee. <laughs> okay, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, thank those you are hard for joining us That's today. Fun. I know, right? Yeah. It's high stakes. Yeah. I'm like, it oh, is. if I was on the other end, I'd have anxiety right now. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I could write even more. It's so fun. <laughs> I'm glad you liked to the what dog would you be? Sometimes I also, yeah, what, what kitchen appliance or utensil you would be
1: yeah i'm actually gonna spend some time thinking about the dog one that's a good one
0: let me know if you change your answer (laughs) well thanks so much for joining us today the bbxx podcast let's get intimate is produced by sasha laurie in berkeley california dialogue narrative and content crafting by amy soper audio editing good music vibes and sound mixing daniel herrera you can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world and if you believe in what we're doing please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about until next time